As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Laurie Whitwell and in case you haven't noticed, Carl Anker's not here, he's away. But I'm here with Andy Mitten to talk about all things Manchester United, uh, to catch up after the win against Brighton, look ahead to the Europa League game against Granada and answer some listener questions as well. So yes, Andy, where are you in the world? I I saw a tweet earlier that you were on a train um, heading to Madrid. I've just arrived in Madrid, just connected and spoke to you, speaking to you immediately. I've sussed the uh, hotel you. Wi-Fi. You are my priority. And uh, I'm here to, to cover Real Madrid against uh, Liverpool, who are a football team from the northwest of England. They, they, they play in a city just to the, um, to the west of Manchester. They wear red for anyone who doesn't know anything about them. So um, I'm covering that game tonight. And then tomorrow I'm going to catch a train. And the trains are really good in Spain, uh, right to the south, to Andalusia, to Granada, where Manchester United are playing on Thursday. So it's a great shame that there's going to be no fans there because it's one of the most beautiful cities in Europe. I was just researching it and the Lonely Planet said, if you visit one city in Spain, go to Granada. And wow. I have been before. I went 15 years ago, but only for a day. And I'm looking forward to going again. April is a time of year when the weather's good. It's not in lockdown like Milan was. And you can see the snow-capped peaks of the Sierra Nevada. So it's a, it's a really beautiful city. Uh, so I'm going and feel lucky to be going with regrets because it would have been a brilliant European away trip. I think that's uh, often the case, isn't it, towards the end of this season. Hopefully, we, you know, we're hearing news about 20-odd thousand fans at the FA Cup final, hopefully, you know, at the end of the season. So, you know, fingers crossed it's getting back to normality. If I can ask listeners to not forget to subscribe to the Athletic, at a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Uh, you'll get great analysis from myself, from Carl, from Andy Mitten, of course, from Granada. And in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Lovely ball by Shaw. Bruno Fernandes. Pogba. And then headed on. It's gone in. It's Mason Greenwood. 
And the teenager strikes for Manchester United with seven and a half minutes to go. And United lead Brighton by two goals to one. We're actually coming off the back of a decent win uh, that we can discuss. Or was it a decent win? I don't know what you think. You know, first half was pretty... Pretty tepid, pretty awkward, Brighton, the better team. You know, United showing character to come through it and actually get a a pretty important win that that opens up a little bit of a buffer to, you know, the fifth place team. The Champions League seems like it's, you know, pretty much secure. But what what do you make of the match itself and then where it leaves United overall? It was an even bigger buffer before West Ham played, managed by David Moyes with Jesse Lingard scoring an incredible goal. But the three points mean that, United look really comfortable now to qualify for the Champions League. And I've said it all along, we won't be celebrating that, but United are starting to make second place look very comfortable now. And I don't know anyone who felt United would finish above third place this season. And it'll do for now. It's progress for now. And if United can finish second and win the Europa League, I think you've got to say that's a, a very successful season. Not, not for every year, but for now. Um, you're right about the, the Brighton performance for the first Eight or nine minutes were good. Then Brighton scored and United were pretty poor. And this team have got that in them, haven't they? You, you see them just lulling matches and play 30, 40 minutes of, of pretty awful football. But United were better in, in the second half. I think the first shot on target was after after 51 minutes. I know Greenwood had hit the post in, in the first half and, and got the win. I think if the team have got the ability to come from behind and win matches. And Brighton are a decent team. Brighton are much improved. Brighton can consider themselves unlucky. Um, we were both there in that storm, weren't we, at the end of September for the League Cup game. But in the league game, they were pretty unlucky. And they've been good in the league at home against Manchester United. And I think they showed why. I mean, tactically, they were really smart in the first half. But for Rashford to score, for Greenwood to score, for Danny Welbeck to score, it was a good day for for Manchester United. So league position looks good. I think one win, one defeat in 24 league games is is really impressive now. And if, there's always a but with this because Manchester City is so far ahead and we're used to seeing Manchester United pushing for the, the league title. But what, what did you make of the performance against Brian individually? Who stood out for you and, and who disappointed? And may I ask you, you know, Cavani was someone who there was a lot of attention on it. I, I didn't think he did great, but what's your view on the players? Similar to you, really. I think Cavani has sort of dipped a little bit in my judgment of him more recently. I think he started fantastically. I think the idea that he has perhaps had a, a slightly different interpretation of his fitness to some people at United. Listen, he knows his own body and he's, he's, he's probably better placed than anybody to say when he's fully fit. But you kind of think, could he could he push himself a little bit more if that is the, the question? And did he get any chances really? Um, is that down to him and his movement or is that down to the people, you know, his teammates not putting in the crosses? I don't know, but it, it probably wasn't his best game. But listen, United are going to have to rely on him for the rest of the season with Anthony Martial potentially out for the, for the rest of it. He's certainly somebody that you can kind of put up front and you know what you're going to get at least from him. You know, you, you, whilst he might not play brilliantly every game, you know he's going to run around, you know he's going to at least put himself in the mix and and hopefully in future chances will follow. And to be fair, I suppose Solskjaer was quick to highlight Cavani in Mason Greenwood's goal in the fact that, you know, he flung himself at the ball, his header, his, the way he moved towards goal, you know, when Pogba was shooting is reminiscent of 
that game against Southampton when Cavani came on and, and changed the dynamic, you know, winning 3-2 from, from 2-0 down, another comeback win. So I think that that's something that we can't ignore, the fact that he's clearly a good presence at Carrington has, and has brought out little additional um, bits from all the different strikers, I think. And yeah, I think the, the comeback it is important. It's 25 points, I think, now United have managed to win from losing positions, which is a ridiculous total, quite frankly, um, way ahead of anybody else um, in the Premier League. And glass half empty, well, they shouldn't be going behind in the first place, but glass, glass half full, it shows character, resilience, uh, and intelligence on the pitch to sort of adapt and, and then find different ways to win. I think the goals were quality goals when you look at the weight of pass from Bruno Fernandes to Marcus Rashford and, and the kind of caressed finish uh, and Luke Shaw's pass to, to Bruno Fernandes to open up that possibility. And then, as you say, the way that you know Greenwood attacked it. And, and Donny van der Beek, I think, deserves a, a little bit of a mention coming on for Cavani, you know, an unusual substitution perhaps, but I think Solskjaer was right because it wasn't working for Cavani and actually Donny van der Beek came on and and did make those runs that created the space for Shaw's pass and for Greenwood then to, to run into it. And listen, if Greenwood wasn't there, I'm sure van der Beek would have had a shot in that situation. And I was perhaps critical of van der Beek after the Leicester game and I wrote a piece for the Athletic sort of highlighting those instances where he had possession of the ball and didn't take the pass, didn't, didn't try something creative but listen he's from a, a school in Ajax that you know they, they conserve the ball they, they win through possession you know built up through the pitch and the second aspect to that is movement off the ball um, and that's obviously what came to fruition against Brighton to such good effect so um, yeah I think ultimately it was I, I was kind of quite uh, positive about the win really you know giving as you say Brighton Brighton a 16th in the, in the league but they play a lot better than that. You know, their XGs, you know, at both ends of the scale are, are, are pretty good. Um, they create chances. They're, they're a well-rounded team. They probably just need a bit of steel, don't they? I'll tell you what I did enjoy, Danny Welbeck celebrating because I always hate it when players don't celebrate goals. I know that he's obviously got a long and storied history with Man United, but he enjoyed the goal. It was a good, you know, couple of headers and and he's right to, to kind of celebrate it really. And listen, the, the main talking point, I suppose, is Dean Henderson being picked in goal, which now seems like the uh, the sort of major moment in that debate between De Gea and Henderson. Listen, no one's saying that De Gea is now never going to play for Manchester United again. Listen, he might well start against Granada on Thursday, but it seems to me that the that 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 shift of who has the possession of the gloves has at least happened. So Henderson is in possession of, of the number one spot at present. And um, he, you know, he did well to save Danny Welbeck's first chance. Perhaps looks a little bit shaky on a, on a cross, but he was being pressured by uh, the Brighton players in and around him. And, and now let's see how he copes with that expectation being you know, sort of put upon him. You know, De Gea's had a long period of that. Um, I do think if you reflect back on what De Gea was like in his first 15 games for Manchester United. Henderson is advanced of that, but also he is a few years ahead of that, you know, in age. So, um, but that's the kind of debate that I think will now be taking place. I don't know, what did you make of that decision to have Henderson in and, and what do you think for the future now? I spoke to some of the coaches recently on the goalkeeping side and they said, Dean Henderson deserves a run in the team, to be fair to him. Not isolated cup games, he deserves a run into the team. It would be unfair to move him on, like Sam Johnson moved on, for example, uh, without getting a run in the team. And he's now getting that run. And maybe David's personal circumstances helped in that because he went back to Spain to become uh, a father. But let's not kid anyone, it's been a debate right since the start of the season. And he's been pushing to say, I want to be number one. I'm ready to be number one. You can understand that he's 
got the belief in his own ability. He's certainly a confident lad. I think he's got a few people on side in the media, which Davide has never done, you know. And I wonder, you know, he's been at the club for um, almost 10 years now and done very, very little media. And I think sometimes you can help yourself. And I, I can speak Spanish. I speak to David in, in Spanish. And he's the most reluctant person to go on the record and, and do an interview. So I don't think that fans, fans warm to him because ultimately he'll be judged by how brilliant he's been as a goalkeeper. But you can add a little bit more if people warm to your personality a little bit more. It's only a small factor, but these small margins can can help him. And he's, I think he's in the top 20 all-time United uh, appearances. But what happens next? He's the best paid goalkeeper in the world. He's the best paid Spanish footballer. He's not going to be sitting on a bench for any period of time. He wanted to leave United in 2015. And I get that, going back to Madrid. There's plenty of footballers who aren't even from Spain who want to go to play for Real Madrid at major, major clubs. They want to go to Madrid and Barcelona. Even now, even with all their, their problems, they still see that as, as the pinnacle, rightly or wrongly. But I can't see how anyone would take De Gea uh, if, uh, on these current wages. So if he was to leave, it, wages would likely to be heavily subsidised unless he went to you know a, a PSG who've, who've got money. Um, his stock in Spain is not what it was, and there's no two ways about that. He, he got a lot more support after 2018 in the World Cup in, in England than he did in, in Spain. And he's being challenged now. Another thing someone said to me at the club was he needed to be challenged, properly challenged. And that took me, that caught me a bit by surprise because this theory developed that Sergio Romero is the best number two around. But you or I aren't seeing Sergio Romero every day. And I think Sergio Romero has been a successful number two for Manchester United and was right to be peeved, A, in 15 when he did well and was dropped when De Gea come back, and B, to have some of the cup matches taken against him. But Henderson is pushing him every single day in training in a good way. So when Oli says he's got two number ones, I, I don't think he's being disingenuous there. I think he, he believes that it's creating that perfect competition. And will either of them be happy with you know, 28 games each per season? I, I don't think they will. But I think Dean deserves his chance now for, for more matches, some big matches, and he might make mistakes and the, the mood can change really quickly. If he fumbles a couple of balls in, suddenly it's hard to get De Gea back. But he needs those chances. And as you said, a good point is at a more advanced stage, but also age than when David first came to Old Trafford. Because six months in, there was a game at Chelsea. It was freezing. And for the first time, I, I thought, and I'm, I was pretty optimistic about him. I thought, this is not going to work out. And then he had the game of his life. And it did work out. But I know that he had Fergie right behind him, even when the world was closing in on him. So it's interesting. I'm not massively concerned about United's goalkeeping situation. I think it's good to, to, to be having the, these choices. Um, there's more concern about the number of goals being, being conceded, but been pretty tight recently. 
Well, hopefully that answers a question from Morton Mabrenner, um, who asked about you know De Gea's future and, and thoughts on whether United would go for a second choice keeper if De Gea was was to leave. I think you know they, they would have to really because you've got Lee Grant who's out of contract at the end of the season. Sergio Romero will go; he's out of contract at the end of the season. We don't know with Lee Grant whether they will extend his, his deal or not, but he has been a, a third choice goalkeeper. So he's you know he's only played I think once or twice for United since signing. So they would clearly need if De Gea was to go to bring somebody else in, which I think is why. You sort of see some reports of links to different goalkeepers. But as Andy says, getting somebody who will pay David De Gea those wages that he's on at Manchester United is a very small pool. You mentioned PSG. Could could they do something? But Kayla Navas, you always sort of think he's always this guy that people are looking perhaps to replace, you know, as he was at Real Madrid by Thibaut Courtois. Um, you know, does he really deserve to be replaced? We'll, we'll see. I think you're right. If 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 it was a situation of David De Gea being the number one next season and Henderson being the number two, then Henderson would look to leave, and, and that would be a more um, a deal that could you know you could sit foresee happening. Um, you know because I think people would be in the running for him. His wages are, are nowhere near as, as as high as David De Gea's. So, um, but but the other side with De Gea, you know, he's, he's perfectly entitled to to take. His full wage, you know, he doesn't need to go to another club where they're not paying him as much, you know. So it, it is interesting what it will happen. You could look at the Alexis Sanchez situation and for, for a possible solution, but then again, Sanchez was not a great presence around Carrington, so it was it made even more sense for United to kind of get him out of the building and, and at least get some money back, you know, in terms of wages. Whereas De Gea, at least, you know, he's, he's a good good presence, good good guy to have around. So, and as you say, he could step in if you know it doesn't necessarily work out for Henderson on, on the flip side but I, I like how Henderson is I think his attitude is good you know the communication that he has and, and the way that he kind of comes off his line um, to a greater degree um, I think are all positive um, points um, sort of at the other end of the pitch I know you said about um, United conceding goals but scoring goals Rashford good finish um, Greenwood good finish but Marshall out potentially for the rest of the season Cavani we're not sure about exactly what's happening there and, and Rashford obviously coming off with another knock he seems to be getting knocks all the time but managing to play through I'm reminded of that interview that we did with him for the Athletic where he, he spoke about you know the fact that he probably should take time out a bit more, but when he feels that he can actually make a difference and and help Manchester United, then he he puts himself through that sort of pain barrier, and and I guess we saw that evidence with with that finish to, to make it one one against Brighton. So, where do you see that situation, Andy? And and do you, I mean, that kind of surely raises the imperative for United to to address the centre forward position as we've mentioned before. You know, with Erling Haaland as you know probably the number one with Harry Kane, you know, also being under consideration. We've obviously mentioned Dominic Carver-Lewin last week, but where do you see the uh, the United forward line for the rest of this season and then, you know, into next season? So before Haaland signs this Friday, we've got the game <laughs> in Granada. <laughs> um, Martial, this has been a season to forget. Forget it. Last season was a good one. This has been a really bad one for him. He, he's beloved by the Glazers, but you've got to be scoring more and assisting more and playing with a more positive body language than he has done uh, this season. don't think United would be in any rush to sell him, but he's nowhere near prolific enough for someone in his position. Uh, Marcus, yeah, loves United. I think he's, he's come for straight fans at times. I think his goal against Brighton was his first in six or seven uh, league matches, but he's continuing to, to improve. Is he that prolific number nine? Probably not. Greenwood's been playing better than his, his goal tally would suggest, I think. And I think he's become more convincing 
um, as the season's gone on. Uh, Cavani, we, we, we've discussed him. I think he's, in recent weeks, he's verged more into Falcao territory as a signing rather than Ibrahimovic territory in that he's missed too many matches. I think Brighton was his eighth league start of the season. And that's not, that's not enough because he's a world-class player. And I'd love him to finish this season strongly and... I see no reason why not. I think he's still got it. He just needs more games under his belt. As you said, he's a good influence on on the training pitch and he's, and he's a good pro. But we're, we're talking about sticking plasters here. What is the future of United's uh, forwards? And I spent some time last week with a big agent and he was just like, United have got to swallow the pride with, with Rayola and don't get too emotional with it. Because if you're going to start picking and choosing your agents, you're playing a very dangerous game. Because while agents are never going to be number one in the popularity stakes, this is an agent telling me this. Mm. He said, we hold the talent. We just do. You know, some of those best agents can not decide where league titles are going, but can have a major influence on it. And he said to me, it's Man United. They should be going for players like Haaland. It could be there for 10 years. Now, of course, it's easy to say it's Man United. And when Louis van Gaal came to the club, he thought United would be signing the players who, who he wanted. I'm sure Ollie would love to sign him. United have tried to sign him twice in the past. Can United compete with the sovereign wealth fund behind your Manchester Cities, behind the PSGs? No, can't. Chelsea spend a lot of money on players. Their wage bill is very, very high. And... I think if you asked Haaland now where he'd like to go to, he'd probably say Barcelona or Real Madrid. Their big problem, and Paul Pogba found this, uh, was was money. And so he's, he's going to have to decide himself that he, even though there's more money in the Premier League, um, he, he by going to Barcelona or Madrid, he'd probably take less money than, than he otherwise would have done because they've got major, major issues. So I don't know where he's going. We've seen this circus of him, if he's father and his agent going around Europe and that's a perfect scenario for them but he's probably that good isn't he it's like when the Brazilian Ronaldo came through he's going to add 10% to almost any team and Manchester City have been good this season really without um, Sergio Aguero so how good would they be with a, a striker I know they've got the option of Gabriel Jesus as well and if you're in sort of football manager mode and not in the real world you'd think well if you bring Haaland in United could get very close to Manchester City and United have outbid City when they both wanted players with, with Fred would say Fred, um, Alexis Sanchez, um, Harry Maguire. And Ed Woodward was pretty bold, not in the COVID time, but saying we can compete with anyone. United's problem wasn't money. It was about getting players to Manchester. And United are not the best team in the world. You know, I'd imagine if you're the Bayern Munich manager, it's an easier sell from a football perspective or, or even the Manchester City manager than it is from the, the United perspective. So it's going to run, it's going to run and run and run. Uh, I'd be surprised if Haaland came. I think United should try and get him. But I also understand the reasons and the reluctance why they didn't sign him last time because they felt that the power would be with the agent. And that's not good for football, I don't think. I think United were right there from that perspective. Whether they were right or not to get the player who's now increased in value, it is definitely disputable. Very disputable. I suppose the one thing is if it's going to look like a Jaden Sancho situation like last summer and drag on and on and on, and then it's a, a sort of transfer deadline day dash, um, 
they should anticipate that and act accordingly coming out of negotiations. And one thing that will obviously make it easier or, or at least give them a bit more you know, uh, financial clout in that regard, because obviously, they, as you say, they can't just have a blank checkbook, um, is player sales. And a lot of the questions we got from listeners this week, from Tom Martin Leistad, from Tom Smart, from Jazzar underscore 13, uh, from Akshay Vishwanath and from George Davies. Hope I said all those correctly. Apologies uh, if I've got any mispronounced. It's basically about Lingard. The form is on it. Um, form is in at West Ham. Um, so in eight games for West Ham in the Premier League, he's got six goals and three assists, <laughs> which is quietly quite remarkable. I think credit to uh, we mentioned Mino Raul obviously being his agent previously, and I think there was talk of him going to Europe and and what have you. And listen, maybe that would have worked out well for him. But he's got a new agent now. And I think the move to West Ham was a smart one. You know, the fact that they're on an upward trajectory, the fact that he can, he will be the guy that they say, go on, winners the game. Uh, the fact that he's got this responsibility, the fact that he's against teams that offer a little bit more space. I mean, it was unusual to see Wolves play like they did last, last night, you know, on Monday night with the kind of space they had to attack. But what do you think about... This, you know, the situation with Lingard. Do you think that United will try and keep him after all this? He's obviously got a year left on his deal come the summer. Or do you think they should cash in now? His actual transfer value is higher than it would have been before the West Ham move. And as um, a couple of our listeners wrote, do you think that they could he could be using a kind of make weight deal for Declan Rice, who is in a position that perhaps United need to strengthen? I think it's a win-win for everyone here. Firstly, it's great for Jesse that he would feel that his confidence is up and he's fulfilling his potential. And I wouldn't say he was damaged goods in January, but I knew who he was speaking to or who his agent was speaking to. And West Ham were about the best of the bunch there. We're talking teams fighting relegation in the Premier League. Nice, Marseille, with them to only coming back when the other realised that the other team might be interested. Teams in Spain who are far from the top. And it was pretty bleak. And why did he stop working with Raola? Probably because Raola couldn't get him the team because there was a lack of interest in him. I think a lot of United fans had, had given up on him. I remember being very patient with him, quite supportive. And then writing a piece saying, look, it's just not working out. Yeah, and it, it, I wouldn't say it attracted hate, but it was pretty unsavoury, you know, get rid of him, he's a fraud. From Man United fans, really strong abuse. So he's proving people wrong because he's doing well in a, in a good team. I don't think he's as good as Bruno. don't think he's going to get the chances if he came back to Manchester United. Um, he can clearly do well for a team at the top end of the Premier League. He had loads of chances at United to, to perform. Oli liked him. He just felt that with Bruno doing so well, he couldn't be playing him as often as Jesse had liked. But what is there a year left on his contract after this season? So that's not going to increase his, his transfer fee. But at his age and his prime, you've got 20, 30 million. And if he had four years, it would be even more than that. None of us know where the market's going to be this summer with COVID. But it's quite nice for Manchester United to have an in-demand player. I remember the days not long ago when... Barca and Madrid wanted to sign Manchester United players rather than United looking to offset the wages by offloading players to sport in Lisbon. I think there's a lot of relieved people at Old Trafford when Inter Milan came along with a pocket full of cash. Don't know whether they're going to pay all that cash. But, it's, it, you know, worst case for Jesse would have been go to West Ham, 
coming on off the bench, not really happening for him, suddenly you're not getting a, a value there because he earns a lot of money. So if United can bring in decent money for him, I don't think there'd be pro- protests from fans if he left. But people are quite rightly asking, does he have a future at United? I'm not sure about that. Are you? No, I agree with you. I think the time's right to, to sort of part ways for a good amount of money to say thank you very much for all the service you've, you've given Manchester United. Go and enjoy your football. He looks like he's absolutely loving his football with West Ham. He's very much in contention for a Euros place. That could increase the value if he plays well for England at the Euros, as he did at the World Cup in 2018. So that all those factors you know, make it an interesting situation, but I think everyone wishes him the best, don't they? Yo, this is Chuck D, host of Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. Shattered is a new podcast series from The Athletic. We dive deep into the past 20 years of the Knicks. The Knicks run to the finals in 99. Melodrama, Lynn Sanity, Chris Stapps and Phil Jackson to today. Subscribe to Shattered wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, listen, let's flick it forward. Let's bring it back to club football at Manchester United. Players that are here for certain. Um, we've got the Europa League coming up, uh, you know, against Granada on Thursday. I was at uh, Lee Valley uh, for the FA Youth Cup on Saturday, which was against Liverpool. Um, so that was a trophy that Manchester United didn't win um, because they lost 1-0. Uh, it was a well-worked goal by Liverpool first half and United stepped on the gas second half, but Liverpool had a, a, a player sent off. Shock horror uh, in this fixture, a player gets sent off. It was a, a ridiculous lunge, quite frankly. Straight red card, but then Liverpool just sat back and were able to kind of keep it tight. United did create some chances. Shola Shora T-Ray, I thought, could have shot at the end when he worked a nice angle, but Sort of reluctant to pull the trigger. They had a couple of other good moments. Hannibal Mesri was the, was the pick of the bunch, though, from a United perspective. He, he really did try some interesting things. Maybe he tried too much, but at the same time, I think when you've got that kind of talent and ability, technique, I think credit to him for getting in the mix. And he was he was all over the all over the pitch, you know, making effort in. Um, and you could see how much it hurt him at the end when United didn't go through. Um, but yeah, let's get it back to the senior level and the Europa League. Just your thoughts on team selection and. I suppose with Spurs in mind on Sunday, how do you think Oli balances those two things? Firstly, totally agree with you on the, the youth setup and, and that defeat to Liverpool, very disappointing. And Liverpool just defended well with the 10 men, but United have invested a lot into the youth system. So that, that was a that was a blow. It was a one-off game in a cup competition. For the team at Granada, well, I was put on the spot about the Milan team a few weeks ago and got lucky basically because I didn't know what it was going to be. But so yeah, it'll be three or four changes from the weekend and there were. I don't know who's going to go with against Granada, but I think that A, they're a Spanish team and they're a good team. They've got some very good players. They've not got to this stage by being mugs. They've knocked out Napoli. They've played more games in the competition than than anybody else and got a very motivated uh, manager. They've caused some upsets, but United will be their favourites. Technically, United have got far superior players. United are even better away from home. The stalling in the recent rounds of this has been at Old Trafford against Milan and against uh, Real Sociedad. So I think he'll play a, a strong team, but not his strongest team. What is his strongest team? When we saw the team line up against Brighton, I, I thought that's probably his strongest side. And then the team played against Brighton and you think, well, how wrong are, how wrong are we sometimes? Um, so I think he'll play like a 7 out of 10 team in terms of, um, you know, you might see a Van de Beek, um, Pogba maybe to get a match. The league's still really important. And after some of them European games, it's been a struggle. After Milan, going to Leicester was a struggle. 
But then after Istanbul, going to Everton was a surprise. But that Thursday night, going to Tottenham, Tottenham have not got a game midweek. They'll have time to prepare. They'll be highly motivated. They put six past United earlier on this season. So that's a big game. And we're all talking now like United are finishing second. Still need to put points on the board because it was Manchester United a year ago who needed the points, who were in the sixth and seventh and fifth for ages and finished very strongly. It was after the lockdown. The first game was actually at Tottenham when it was a draw. But I think United won six of the eight matches um, following that game. So avoid defeat, which United are very good at doing. Get a draw against Tottenham. That'll do because results went against United this weekend as well. Leicester lost, Chelsea lost, Arsenal always lose. And get a decent result in, in Granada. At the tail end now of the competition. I think it's really important that United try and win this competition. Uh, I don't think Granada are as good as, as AC Milan, but United's record traditionally in Spain is horrific. We're, we're all sort of thinking our oh, Spanish clubs are finished. They're not finished at all. They're having a bad season. So he's, he's got to put a strong team out. But he put strong teams out, Laurie. He's done it all season. Remember against Everton in the, the League Cup and people were saying, why is he playing Bruno? It's because he wants to win a cup. And he needs to win a cup. I think it would be a good finish, wouldn't it, if they can manage to win the Europa League and second looks pretty safe right now. So, listen, we'll see how it goes. But I shall bid you adieu, Andy. Um, Enjoy Madrid. Enjoy Granada. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week for another edition of Talk of the Devils, your Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Cheers, Laurie. The Athletic.